If someone were to ask you the question, what was Jesus' primary purpose in coming to earth as the God-man, how would you respond? Stay tuned. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to continue talking about that complicated relationship between fear and truth in today's episode as we continue looking at chapters 18 and 19 in the Gospel of John. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Welcome back. I am so glad that you are here. And if you are hearing this episode when it first releases or within a couple of weeks, you're going to know that it is the Christmas season. That's right. It is the season of Advent. We haven't quite hit Christmas yet by the time this um, episode first airs, but we're going to be in the second week of Advent um, when, when this episode first comes out. And this is the week that traditionally is focused on preparation or waiting for a prophecy to be fulfilled. And traditional Advent candles, this is represented by a purple candle that represents peace. And it's it's a main focus of this week. And one of the things of the prophecies about Jesus was in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, where Jesus is called the Prince of peace. And when the angels showed up, when Jesus actually was birthed into this world, and they show up to the shepherds, they end their message by saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And lastly, in the gospel of Luke chapter 2 verses 29 through 33, Simeon a very old man that God had promised you will not die until you meet the Messiah. When he sees Jesus in the temple as just a very new new baby and, and the Holy Spirit reveals to him that little baby over there that that couple has just walked in with, that's the Son of God. That's the Messiah. That's the hope that the Jewish nation has been waiting for for millennia. Simeon thanks God that he can now die in peace. Now, if you're in the midst of the hustle and bustle of Christmas, just take a moment and remind yourself, peace is absolutely possible. I mean, think back to the very first Christmas. Mary and Joseph, have had to travel away from their home. Mary is very pregnant and about to give birth, and they live under this this horrific cloud of social condemnation because Mary was known to be pregnant before they married. And, of course, the speculation is, well, was this, you know, who's the father of this child, and what was she going to do? Um... Uh, God, <laughs> yeah, right, Mary, please tell us another one, okay? I mean, 
that would have earned her more scorn and disdain and contempt than if she had just named some actual human being. And then when they get to Bethlehem, because that's where they have to go to register for this Roman census, there's no peace going on here in Bethlehem. It's chaos. I mean, talk about hustle and bustle. This little village is packed with people that have had to show up here. They're, the hotel rooms are all gone, so to speak. And, and on top of this, oh, great, now, it's, now this is the time that my child is going to be born? God, I don't know that this was how I envisioned all of this going. So wherever you are this Advent season, this Christmas season, determine that you will not just remember the words that Jesus came and that peace is a part of his coming. It's supposed to be something that we actually are empowered to live out in our everyday lives. And yes, that includes the month of December. This second Advent week is also a a lot of focus on preparation, that people were to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. They were to prepare their hearts for him. God did the preparation work possible to bring Jesus into this world at just the exact right time and the exact right set of circumstances. And we still have the call to be people of preparation. We're not just supposed to be chilling out until the second advent happens. We are to be to be preparing for the second advent by how we live here and now. As we're diving in and continuing in this episode, looking at the Gospel of John, chapters 18 and 19, I can tell you there isn't any peace that seems to be going on in these chapters unless it is the peace that Jesus had. But we don't want to trivialize the fact of his experience. He was fully God and fully man. He went through the crucifixion with with as much pain and suffering, even more pain and suffering than any human being had. It wasn't minimized for him, not mentally, not emotionally, not physically. There wasn't some supernatural barrier where it wasn't real suffering. And all of the accounts in the Gospels about what happened and and the things that he said and what people bore witness to on the cross demonstrate In the last episode, when the first time that we started looking at these chapters, one of the things that we focused on was looking at how fear was so dominant in the lives of so many people, everybody except for Jesus. Now, I think there's a distinction between fear and unease. I don't think Jesus didn't just dance into his trial and crucifixion. He suffered through that. Isaiah tells us that he despised the shame that that came with that. We saw in other Gospels where he is in the garden beforehand saying, God, uh, let's do a plan B here because this plan A, it's not looking so good for me. Okay, I'm I'm not being um, disrespectful. That wasn't exactly how he said it. But in modern vernacular, that's what he was saying. And isn't that something that is true for us today? I mean, I've definitely been in that situation, not in a garden facing crucifixion, but definitely in a place of saying, "Uh, God, uh, I'm looking around here and I would really like a plan B. Hey, I'll even take a plan in. 
let's just do away with plan A because I don't like where this is going. If you've lived on this planet very long, you will have had that experience as well. And so this night of Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, and burial is not going according to plan for any of Jesus' disciples except possibly Judas. But everybody else is like, wait a minute, this was not part of the plan. God, we did not see this coming. Excuse me, we just left this meal where, yeah, Jesus said some things that was a little troubling to us, but okay, that's really nothing terribly new. And we have these expectations of how the rest of the night and the week and everything else is going to go. And all of a sudden, everything, I mean, everything falls apart. What they could not have imagined coming is all of a sudden there. I mean, just a little while earlier in that evening, they'd all been sitting around the table. And when Jesus had pointed out, hey, one of you here is going to betray me. They have no clue who that could possibly be. It's not like they all elbowed each other and went, yeah, I bet it's Judas over there. They, they, were, they were totally clueless as to who in that group could be so far removed from their perceptions of one another that they would turn into a betrayer. No understanding, no clue didn't see it coming at all. And life can happen to us that way as well. And it is often in these times when life does a 180 and all of a sudden we're in a situation we never imagined ourselves in. We never saw coming. We feel that we had no preparation for that fear can really set in and we can start making decisions out of fear rather than out of faith and trust in God. So of all the people in the story that we looked at last week, the only person who is not being motivated by fear is the one who's going to be crucified. Everybody else is motivated in fear by some, in some part or another. Now let me clarify something about fear. There is a healthy instinct that God has given us of caution. I need to understand that if I step out into the street and traffic is going both ways, for that matter, traffic can just be going one way, that is not going to end well. That is a survival instinct of caution that God has given to us. So I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm not even talking about the awareness that bad things happen to people on this planet. Bad stuff happens to Christians. Evil is here and present, and it doesn't give up, and it doesn't just walk by and go, oh, you're a disciple. Well, guess what? I guess I won't bug you. That is not the way that this life operates. So I'm not confusing here that cautious instinct with the kind of paralyzing fear that comes as a result of sin coming into this world that turns our eyes off of God and it turns us onto our circumstances and then we end up doing dumb stuff. We end up doing stuff we regret. We end up even going as far as sinning against God. So we don't want to confuse those different types of fear, even though we kind of use the same word for those. 
So earlier in the episode, I asked the question, if somebody said to you, what was Jesus' primary purpose in coming into the world, what would your answer be? Well, we don't have to guess what Jesus' answer would be because it's recorded for us right here in these chapters. And it's recorded in the midst of a conversation that he has with Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And in the last episode, we talked about the fact this was not a plum political assignment for anybody. It was a serious downgrade to be sent off to this backwater part of the Roman Empire that was always stirring up trouble. So Pilate asked Jesus one of the most infamous questions that we have that has remained throughout history, and it is this, what is truth? We don't know how Pilate asked the question. Did he say it with weariness, with contempt, with outrage, with sarcasm, with curiosity? We don't know how he said it. We just know that he said it and Jesus actually answered it. Sometimes it's unfortunate, well, all the time it's unfortunate, that we're not as familiar with Jesus' answer as we are with Pilate's question. But this is what Jesus said in reply. For this reason, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. What? I mean, think about that. He does not say, for this reason, I have come into the world to save everyone, but to bear witness to the truth. That's an important distinction there. And this is our call as followers of Jesus, who we are to imitate. And this is to be our purpose as well. And it is to be bearers of truth. Now, this can kind of spook some of you, and it can be a little spooky to me because here's the thing. If you've lived too long on this planet and you've, you've likely encountered somebody who has not been a truth bearer, they have been a truth beater. So they don't bear truth in a way that is encouraging, that is even if it is not encouraging in a sense, but even if it is something that says, hey, this is something in your life you need to deal with because it's going to take you down a bad path, but they still have a good heart. We've all probably sooner or later been hit by somebody who was a truth beater, somebody who took truth and just beat us with it, not for the purpose of trying to um, get us into, to become our best self, but rather to use that to just beat on us. So I'm not talking about a truth beater, but to be a truth bearer in this world. Why is this so important? Well, it's first important for us as individuals. So before we start thinking in terms of that's right, we need to go into the world and we need to be speakers of the truth and we need to tell people what it is and why it is and how things are and they better get their act together. If that's the attitude that any of this provokes, okay, please just go home, be quiet and just pray and study your Bible until God changes your heart because we don't need those people showing up in the world. We first need truth in ourselves about ourselves. You know, the name of this podcast is Life's Key Three because I think the key three aims of life are to learn ourselves, to love God, 
and to live connected. And there's great intentionality in all of those phrases. They're not just some cute alliteration that I came up with. We will be more fearful the less we know ourselves. And sadly, fear often leads to arrogance. It can also lead to insecurity. It leads to both. The more grounded a person is in the truth, the less motivated they will be by fear. So think about this in the context of a relationship with somebody else. The less you know about a person, the more room there is for fear because of the unknown. There's the fear of the unknown. Well, this is also true for ourselves. The less we know ourselves, the more we will be motivated by fear, even if we don't recognize it as fear. You know, one of the paradoxes of life is that it is the people who are the least self-aware who are the least aware of how not self-aware they are. It's usually the people around them who have higher levels of self-awareness who can look at them and go, boy, that person is not very self-aware, but that's the person who thinks they really are. If we are afraid of really getting to know ourselves, and that isn't just what we tell ourselves about ourselves, but that's also being open to the input that we receive from others, that is not a good sign. The presence of fear is also a good way to assess whether something is true or not. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of so-called Christian teaching that's come down through the years about any number of things. And, and teaching that becomes incredibly popular. I'm not talking about some obscure, um, you know, kind of cult-type religion. I'm talking about mainstream Christianity that absorbs this type of teaching. And it's incredibly popular. But if you have the courage and the wisdom to examine it really closely, a lot of times it has a very strong fear factor hidden in its core. It's not spoken exactly like this, but the message can basically be, if you don't do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, then you, your marriage, your kids will all suffer and not be in good standing with God. If you don't do this in your marriage, your marriage will fall apart. If you don't do this, as a parent, your kids will grow up and reject God. And here's the reason why fear is often so hard to identify, because there's just enough truth to applying the principles of God that we confuse it with godly principles with man-made teaching. Anytime you hear any kind of teaching, wherever it comes from, I don't care what kind of label it has on it and whether it comes from somebody who's obscure or somebody well-known, well if, if you really examine it and it has a lot of fear in it and fear that does not lead to freedom in Christ, you need to look at that real closely because that can be a big hallmark of teaching that masquerades as Christian teaching, but it's really not biblical. But one of the reasons that those teachings become so popular is because they seem to remove fear. 
I mean, give me a formula. And if I just follow it and it guarantees that my kids are all going to grow up and love God and serve him, absolutely. I don't have to be um, afraid anymore. I don't have to confront and deal with the, the concern that they would grow up and reject God. So yeah, give me the formula, get rid of the fear. Woohoo, we're all happy. Except godly principles are never based in fear that draws someone away from God. Now again, there is a fear that the Bible talks about, the fear of the Lord that leads to what? It leads to freedom in Christ. It leads a person to repentance. So I'm not talking about that kind of fear. And so we have to listen to all of this in the totality of what I'm saying and not just pull out little sound bites because then we end up with something that's convoluted and not correct. You see, all of life is lived in tension, and that's just the way it is. And whenever we have a, teach, a teaching that's biblical, there should be a tension in it. There should be a left side and a right side. There should be, yes, there's this on this end and there's this truth on this end. And it it is those two truths, not a right and a wrong, but two truths that hold that line tense and that makes it actually secure and strong. So is it true that there is the place of fear that motivates us to stop sinning and to come before God with holiness. Absolutely, that's a truth that we have to have present in our thinking. But is it also true that there is an ungodly fear that drives someone away from God and not to him, and we need to reject that truth? Yes, that truth is there as well as it relates to fear. So we need to keep both of these in in place so that we have this tension if you will, kind of imagine like a, a, a high wire. Nobody wants to walk across a high wire that's only anchored on one end. Otherwise, you don't have a high wire. You have a loose rope to dangle from. But you want to have a, those anchored on both sides because it is that tension that actually creates safety for the person walking across that high wire. Even structures that are strong are strong not because of the absence of tension, but because of the presence of tension. Push, pull. You have this force that's pulling in and this force that's pushing out. A force that's pushing up and a force that's pushing down. And you need that tension in order to create a safe structure. And it's the same way in our lives. We need to have a correct understanding of fear. And when it leads us to God and to understand the, the fear that pushes us away from God, and hold those two things in in correct tension, and that provides us a place of safety. So how do we do that? Well, that's why we have to be in the Word. The Word of God that is living and active and able to divide between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's a pretty crisp dividing line. And that's why we need to be in the Word so that we have that clarity to be able to grow and as we mature to distinguish this is the fear that is leading towards God this is a fear that is pushing away from God godly fear will always lead us towards the truth ungodly fear 
will seek to hide and obscure. It doesn't want transparency. It doesn't want accountability. Don't ask me questions. Don't dive in and look for details. Just take my word for it. That is always evidence of a fear that is not of God. A godly fear welcomes transparency. It is open. It says, sure, come, question, ask all the questions you want. I don't have anything to be afraid of when it is something that is leading a person to God. So this whole business of being a bearer of truth is to lead people to God, not to beat them up with truth and make them afraid of God. All right, my friend. Well, that gets us through the 19 chapters of the Gospel of John. Two chapters left, and we will be wrapping those up in the next episode. Thank you again so much for being with me today. Hey, would you take a minute and just share this podcast with a friend, a family member, a colleague? Maybe your your small group, maybe your church Sunday school or Bible study group. Say, hey, you know what? There's this podcast here. Life's free. You ought to listen to it. You can put it on when you're walking, jogging, when you're washing the dog, when you're doing dishes, you know, what, whatever it is you're doing, you're commuting to work. Um, and so just take a listen to this because how many of us could not benefit from having more instruction in the most important book that's ever been written, and that is the very Word of God. All right, my friend, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this podcast, and remember this because it is so true. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.